Do you act in good faith? Do you believe that faith can be a force for good? Good Faith Media is the new nonprofit from the merger of Ethics Daily and Nurturing Faith. Good Faith Media will offer news and opinion, books and curriculum, videos and podcasts, and travel and learning opportunities. When it comes to good faith, there's more to tell. Visit goodfaithmedia.org. The Eula May and John Baugh Foundation is pleased to support Good Faith Media and its production of Brother Molly, about the life and work of Molly T. Marshall. The Baugh Foundation recognizes the God-given dignity of every person and supports nonprofit organizations that reflect the love of Christ. The Baugh Foundation, supporter of Good Faith Media and Brother Molly. In 1976, boxer Muhammad Ali was interviewed by This Day Tonight, a current affairs program from the Australian Broadcasting Commission. Muhammad Ali, in, in 1960, you won a gold medal at the Rome Olympics. Then apparently a few months later, you stood on a bridge on the Ohio River and threw it away. Could you tell me why you did that? Well, I always had some mystical idea that if I could become a big black man in the southern city or one of prestige or wealth, I could be treated different or maybe I could have powers to open doors. I went and got my gold medal, went back in, ordered two cheeseburgers, and they said, sorry, we, we don't serve Negroes. I said, I don't eat them either, just give me two cheeseburgers. And she said, you're getting smart. But I couldn't, the idea was I couldn't eat that, so I got so angry. I drove Dutch to the Ohio River and stood there and looked at the gold medal, and I could imagine that American flag waving when they played the national anthem when I beat the pole to the Russian. Dun, 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 dun. And I'm standing at the metal alone. Dun, 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 dun. I said, boy, I'm going back to Louisville, and I can eat now. I can go in the restaurants, put them on the spot. They can't put me out now. I'm the champ of the world. Dun, dun. They put me out of that restaurant. I said, this metal ain't worth a damn. I took that metal and said, ain't worth nothing. I don't care. I took it off my neck. said, ain't no good. It ain't floating in the Ohio River. At the bottom of the Ohio River, Muhammad Ali's gold medal will soon have company an ain't-no-good artifact of a different sort, courtesy of Brother Molly. Welcome back to Brother Molly, a six-episode documentary podcast from Good Faith Media on the life and work of theologian Molly T. Marshall, narrated by me, Erica Whitaker. Episode 2, The Ohio River. Let's catch you up a bit. Molly had sensed a calling to ministry as a teenager, and it persisted as an undergraduate at Oklahoma Baptist University. Molly wanted theological training and education, and she wanted to learn from the best. So now it's the 1970s, and some of the best Baptist theologians are at Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Louisville. Southern's a hotbed of research and religious thought for up-and-coming Baptist ministers. So off Molly goes to Southern Seminary with some financial and spiritual support from the Green family in Cushing, Oklahoma, the place Molly had served as a youth minister, and formed a deep bond with Douglas, Margaret, and their family, 
When it came time to go to seminary, he and his wife said, we'd like to help you. Uh, We'd like to help support you a bit. And so they did, uh, not over the top, but modestly. That helped me uh, not to have to have quite as many jobs. When Molly enrolls at Southern Seminary in 1973, she is automatically admitted because she's a woman for an MRE degree. That's Master of Religious Education. And that stands in contrast to the MDiv, or Master of Divinity. Women were placed in the former. The reasoning went that women weren't going to be pastors and preachers, so they didn't need to focus on theology, as in the MDiv. Rather, women would be tracked for children's education, hence the MRE. To illustrate the point concerning Southern Baptist churches and the potential of women in the pulpit, consider the story from Linda McKinnish Bridges, one of Molly's friends at Southern. The very church that I had spent my years growing up in, when I asked them to sign, which we all had to then to go to seminary, you had to have a local church to recommend you. You had to have a document that the local church signed. So I took my request to the deacons to sign the document. It was a form from Southern that simply stated, we affirm um, Linda McKinnish as uh, a seminary student called by God for the gospel ministry. They were deeply offended by that. And so my dad, who was also at that meeting, gave the deacons pushback and said, well, you know, this she's, she needs to have a right to go and prepare at Southern Seminary. He was very supportive of me doing that. And they said, well, the only way we'll do it after several hours of conversation is that we scratch out she is going to prepare for the gospel ministry. We scratch that out with our pen and we say she is going to prepare to work with children. And that's the only way they would sign that document. It was hard for me to forgive those people. Those people were people I'd grown up with. I'd played their organ. I'd played their piano. I'd sacrificed the football games to play at revivals. I mean, I'd go on and on and on, you know. But here at a time when I was wanting to educate myself, to prepare for ministry, they refused to do that. Brother Molly isn't going to scratch off any courses on the basis of certain gender restrictions. When she gets to Southern, she enrolls in all MDiv classes. As she says, she has some burning theological questions. So she finally persuades Southern to let her transfer out of the MRE track into the MDiv, where you could count on one hand the number of women swimming among the seas of hundreds of men. And this is 1973. Remember what else happens in 1973? Roe v. Wade, that landmark legal decision from the United States Supreme Court, which effectively legalizes abortion. This is just one facet of the larger women's movement. There's Betty Friedan, Gloria Steinem, and many others, including Molly Marshall. The second wave of feminism hits religious institutions, and evangelist Billy Graham visits Southern Seminary. Molly's curiosity can't blow this opportunity. I I went to seminary with a number of questions. And one of the questions early on was, um, are there any prohibitions to women serving in whatever area of ministry? Billy Graham had come to visit in the chapel. And he had an open forum for students to ask questions. 
And I went to the microphone and I said, Sir, what do you believe the Bible teaches about the ordination of women? And he said, I don't believe this is the place to answer such a question. And I said, if not here, where? It's an honest question. Molly says, some clapped, others booed. I was branded from that point on by the conservatives. I was a firebrand by the more progressive students, and there were many more progressive than I there. I was uh, the, the emerging feminist. Questioning Billy Graham in public about female preachers? Brother Molly goes big, but she keeps some of her other subversive acts to herself. And one day, uh, looking in the women in religion section in the library, I ran across bobbed hair, bossy wives, and women preachers. Uh, written by John R. Rice, who published The Sword of the Lord and all that other uh, tripe. The book, originally published in 1941, really puts the fun in fundamentalism. Its subtitle, Significant Questions for Honest Christian Women Settled by the Word of God. Basically, should women cut their hair? God says no. Are wives equal to their husbands? God says no. Can women be preachers and pastors? God says, no. And no way will Molly let this book stand. And I was incensed that it was in a really significant library, like the James Pettigrew Boyce Library. It was an insulting book. So I basically took it from the shelf, drove across the Ohio River Bridge, and plinked it. I threw John R. Rice's book and didn't tell about it for years. Um, <laughs> it's not something you want to brag about. Bobbed haired, bossy wives, and women preachers at the bottom of the river with Muhammad Ali's algae covered gold medal. I think we see clearly the disparities. He saw clearly how a black man was treated in racist South. I saw clearly how women were being treated in Southern Baptist life, in church culture, in society. I was awakening to the realities of patriarchy, which not only has gender implications, but racial implications as well. Mohammed and Mali, one countercultural revolutionary inspiring another. We'll talk more about systemic racism and sexism in Southern religion in a later episode. When it comes to locating Molly Marshall of Muskogee in her cultural context, 
We're not wrong to note Muhammad Ali or Betty Friedan, but we also have to talk about the Apostle Paul. Here's what Molly wrote in a book chapter in 2005. Women following their calling to ministry are often accused of pursuing a secular feminist agenda rather than faithfully responding to the beckoning of God. Thus, their motives are suspect, and the good they do is often discounted because of prejudice. I have been asked on more than one occasion, are you a feminist first or a Christian first? The answer is straightforward. I am a feminist because I am a Christian. I became a feminist reading the Apostle Paul, not Betty Friedan and Gloria Steinem. Molly points to some of Paul's letters to early churches, where he mentions women specifically, like Phoebe, Eurodia, and Syntyche, and their status as leaders. Molly points especially to Paul's letter to early Christians in Galatia, when he penned this line, sometimes referred to as the Magna Carta of human freedom. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. I really didn't read uh, the feminist writers. I didn't read Steinem and I didn't read Friedan. I knew, I knew of them. Molly says it wasn't until several years later that she began reading feminist literature, and even then it was mostly feminist theology. But in the 1970s, feminism is in the ether, with Helen Reddy singing I Am Woman, Billie Jean King defeating Bobby Riggs in the tennis match dubbed Battle of the Sexes, and this kind of thing from Betty Friedan. That dichotomy between the morality and the ethics, you know, of what you preach on Sunday and what you live day by day. When the theology is made not only by women who breathe, who give birth to children, who have to deal with the dailiness of life, but when men too share that, it will be a different kind of theology. The bridge between the personal and the political, the personal and the theological, the daily, the concrete and the abstract, the immediate and the divine. The theological debate the 60s was, is God dead? And the 70s, is God he, not necessarily she, but when we release that which is feminine to be active and insertive in woman and in man, we take the next step in human evolution. That's for Dan in 1975, speaking during the International Women's Year, so designated by the United Nations. Coincidentally, or perhaps we could say divinely, it's also in 1975 that a man named Roy Honeycutt becomes dean at Southern Seminary. Roy died in 2004, but his widow, June, still lives in Louisville. She was turning 92 the week Molly caught up with June, who was dressed to the nines, talking about computers, still calling everyone honey in her lovely Mississippi accent. Those of us, see, I'll be 92 Sunday. Oh, that is wonderful. Can you believe it? No, I can't. <laughs> but I'll be 70 in December. Can you oh, believe honey, that? Honey, that's young. I know it is. <laughs> honey, that is so young. I know. I Boy, that is, I can't believe you're that young. I want to tell you a, an early story of Roy. You all came here from Midwestern That's in right. 1975. That's exactly right. And I graduated in December yeah. of 75. Yeah. And that spring, 
Roy called a group of women together and said, we need to have a women in ministry group on campus. Roy was the dean then. That's right. And so That's Roy right. was... I think I was there. Did you meet in the guest house? Yes, ma'am. But that, he was the instigator of that. Then I oh, went... Molly. An old friend remembering the courage of your spouse. You can hear the emotion in June's voice at the shared memory. After Molly completes her MDiv at Southern, she takes a position as associate minister at Pulaski Heights Baptist Church in Little Rock, Arkansas. While still on staff, she bumps into Roy Honeycutt at a Southern Baptist meeting. She tells June what happened next. But I saw Roy in Nashville, and I went up to Dr. Honeycutt and I said, Sir... I didn't call him Roy in those days. I said, sir, when are you going to put a woman on the faculty of the School of Theology? And he looked me in the eye and he said, as soon as one gets ready and marketable. Well, I (laughs) I took that as encouragement. Well, are you sure that? I did. Yes, she did. Having discerned a particular calling to teach, Molly wants to pursue even more education. And she is operating on two assumptions. Assumption number one, things, like treatment of women, will not improve in churches until they improve in seminaries. Assumption number two, Southern's fingerprints, as Molly says, will likely be on the first female professor in the School of Theology. Despite being admitted to other institutions like Vanderbilt and Cambridge, Back to Southern Molly goes in 1979 for a doctorate in theology. As before, she meets other bright students, both men and women. One is a young man from Florida named Albert Moeller. Well, I remember the first time I met you. You probably wouldn't remember this. Uh, It was a seminar class taught by Timothy George. Yes. I was an MDiv student. I remember. That's Albert Moeller and Molly Marshall at Southern Seminary on September 12, 2019. Together, catching up a bit, something they had not done for 25 years. And there was a reason, a rather large, lengthy reason, why not. We'll come back to that in a later episode. No surprise, Molly excels at Southern as before, when she'd gone with the support of the Green family, Douglas and Margaret, in Oklahoma. But in the intervening years, Douglas has become a widower after Margaret dies of pancreatic cancer. And he and I began to talk just as a just as a friend. Uh, we were not were not dating, um, but just began to deepen deepen our friendship. Um, and uh, it turned from friendship to love. Douglas was a uh, was a deacon, respected community member, faithful. Uh, leader in his church. Uh, physically, he was not that tall. He was 5'9 and very, very strong. He grew up as a farm boy in western uh, Texas, west Texas, out in Abilene. Uh, just very, um, very vibrant and, and strong uh, physically. Um, Dark brown hair, green eyes, uh, beautiful mustache, um, and uh, robust. And he was uh, willing to uproot his practice. His children were launched. 
his wife was gone, so he moved to Louisville uh, about um, halfway into my PhD program. And then that's when we began to date. Molly's doctoral work, meanwhile, includes study not only in Louisville, but also abroad, first in Jerusalem and then in England. Working with John A.T. Robinson in Cambridge University, as well as uh, R.T. France at Tyndall House. And so I had the evangelical and the progressive wing of the Anglican Church uh, in the same semester. And I was in the tutorial uh, method, which meant you wrote an essay each week, about a 3,000-word essay, and then came and read it aloud to your tutor, and then he would critique it. And it was the most marvelous learning experience I've had because of the immediate feedback and the interrogation of my ideas. And when I got back uh, to Southern after having spent that semester, really thought about staying I really did, but I was getting serious about Douglas at that point and decided to come back, uh, come back to Southern. Molly returns to Louisville, where her relationship with Douglas has now gone from friendship to dating to marriage. They get married in the small chapel at Southern Seminary in 1981. When I married at 31, I hyphenated my name, uh, as Molly Marshall Green, and my husband was Dr. Douglas Green. Molly Marshall Green. That's the name that will go on the dissertation she's writing, a bold work that will cause her and the Baptist world trouble for years to come. More after the break. Cooperative Baptist Fellowship of Arkansas has been on a journey with Molly Marshall since she served a Baptist church in Little Rock. Through many seasons, our treasured journey continues. Discover more about us at cbfar.org and on Facebook. Enjoying Brother Molly so far? We'd love to have you share the podcast on your social media platforms using hashtag Brother Molly. Thanks for listening. Looking for more great podcasts featuring Baptists like Molly Marshall? Check out Baptist Without an Adjective, an award-winning weekly interview podcast from Warden Way. The program features conversations with Baptists across the denominational, ethnic, national, and ideological lines that too often divide us. You'll find interviews with leaders in the five largest U.S. Baptist denominations and Baptist leaders from more than 20 other nations. Find Baptist Without an Adjective wherever you get your podcast or at podcast.wordandway.org. Brother Molly continues. Molly Marshall Green, the newlywed and doctoral student, spends hours a day in one of the study carols at the Southern Seminary Library. She's working on a dissertation, the title of which turns out to be No Salvation Outside the Church, A Critical Inquiry. It will become infamous. Her dissertation committee is all men, and men she respects. Dale Moody, Marvin Tate, and Wayne Ward. They are committed Baptists as well as progressive thinkers. Wayne Ward, for example, had welcomed Martin Luther King Jr. to Southern's campus in 1961, an appearance that enraged many Southern Baptists. Moody, Tate, Ward, these men are not only academic advisors and theologians, but also friends and mentors. 
Dale Moody was on my doctoral committee, and I loved Dale Moody. And Dale had this marvelous scientific as well as uh, theological mind. He'd been a dual major, geology and Bible at Baylor. And he and Douglas and I one day went over to the uh, the Falls of the Ohio, which is just there near the Lock and Dam. And it's an old, old coral reef over there that's over 10,000 years old. And uh, the Ohio River was the drain pipe of the Ice Age. And so you see this geological outcropping. And Dale was just appalled at Luddite people who were trying to date the Bible according to Schofield, 4004 B.C. It was created. And so uh, Douglas had a friendship. Douglas of Scientific Bent had friendship with, with Dale. And there are others at Southern that Molly and Douglas so admire, like Eric Rust. Eric Rust was a philosopher and also a scientist. And he was a member of the Royal uh, Academy of Science. He was a British man and taught philosophy of religion for a number of years. And there's a funny story about those two. Uh, Rust did not die many months before Dale died. And one day Dale asked Wayne Ward, how long's Eric been gone now? And Wayne said, oh, about X number of weeks. Good, long enough for him to know that I was right <laughs> about the eternal verities. Uh, Dale was, oh, such a combative and his, a funny person, so assured of his opinions. And so I perhaps learned some of my theological feistiness uh, from him. Um, but he was a, he was a treasure at, at, at Southern and uh, a good friend to Douglas. Eric Rust would die in December 1991. Dale Moody, just several weeks later. Even so, Brother Molly will talk to them again. I wrote a controversial dissertation because I was concerned about how Christians view other ways of faith, what are the Christological and ecclesiological implications for the extent of grace. So I probed some interesting things. 1983 is a busy and eventful year for Molly. Her father, Robert Truman Marshall, dies in February, and in May, she's ordained for ministry by St. Matthew's Baptist Church in Louisville. This means she is affirmed by the church as a clergy member. Her ordination is a stirring of spiritual gifts, an authentication of spiritual authority, a form of accountability to her church, a license to preach the Word of God. Molly is one of only several dozen women across all of Southern Baptist life ordained in 1983, when the SBC claims more than 36,000 churches. It's also at this time that some Southern Baptist women decide to formalize a group, 
Southern Baptist Women in Ministry. So I was at the beginning of that movement along with some others. And that was a time of clarity in terms of recognizing what was going on. Most of my doctoral studies, I would be the only woman in the room at that. Uh, In the seminars, there was another woman doing uh, contemporary theology. I was working in uh, some systematic, et cetera. So we we crossed some. She became an Episcopal. There was a third woman, and she took her life while in Ph.D. studies. And so that was a cautionary tale of this is really, this is really hard. And we've got to find ways of support. Southern Baptist Women in Ministry begins publishing a newsletter called Folio, and Molly writes for it. In the pages of the Folio newsletter, Molly and others begin discussing the importance of how people talk about God and why language is critical. Here's Eileen Campbell-Reed. You might remember her from episode one, talking about her days in GAs. The value of embodying inclusive language for humanity and expansive language for God. Uh, so it's not that I neuter the, the language for God, but it's that I embrace a wide range of languages, uh, words and images and genders for God. Uh, and I think that's crucial because humanity is... Uh, multiple and diverse, and God did not create any one part of humanity to be like God and the rest of us somehow, uh, just cheap copies. We're all in the image of God, and so uh, our language for God needs to reflect fully that expansiveness. The Bible is full of all kinds of names for God. Some of them may be more common than others, but I don't think any of them necessarily trump all the others. For example, and very simply, God as Father is common in biblical language. God as Mother is less common, but no less biblical. God in Hebrew and Christian scriptures is described as a mother bear, pictured as a nursing mother, likened to a hen, just to name a few. Being born of God is a common phrase and image, yet the holy feminine attribute of God's wombish love is typically and traditionally not discussed. Aside from these mothering aspects of God— There are biblical traditions surrounding the wisdom of God, which employs feminine language, and the Spirit of God, which bypasses gendered language altogether. Here's Robin Sambothi, a friend and colleague of Molly's. Realizing that Scripture held all kinds of images of God in the feminine, um, not that that there was not an exclusive male version of God in the Bible, even. You know, and I certainly have been taught otherwise. Even just to move away from how I'd been raised to um, this new understanding of who God is and who God was for me. Um, and I, I attributed a lot of that to Molly. Tampering with institutionally sanctioned language for God? That's heady stuff and gutsy and professionally dangerous. In the early 1980s, there is a profound unrest in the Southern Baptist Convention, which helps fund Southern Seminary. 
A well-documented struggle in the SBC between those who are more progressive and those who are more conservative. By any reasonable account, the SBC's reaction to these more progressive ideas and people like Brother Molly fits the definition of backlash. Consider this from Gloria Steinem speaking at UCLA in 1983. There are many groups and forces, some economic, some overlaid with religion, that have benefited and are now in full backlash. Uh, the right wing, the moral majority. And this? But the structure of religion, by and large, has been overwhelmingly patriarchal. And this? Anytime one human being, one person or group, is habitually dominant over another person or group, not because of... Um, talent or experience, but only because of how we got born, whether that is race or class or sex, that is a power relationship. That's politics. And finally, this. To see the political misuses of institutionalized religion and to really question any religion that tells us that God looks like the ruling class. What is going on here? <laughs> Are we not just putting politics in the sky? Are we not just putting politics in the sky? Those politics are very much on Earth as well. Dale Moody, one of Molly's major professors, takes early retirement amid questions over his suitability as a professor, vis-a-vis -vis some of his doctrinal stances. But nevertheless, Molly completes her PhD in 1983. Her proud mother, Bernice Marshall, attends graduation. I'd set out 120 resumes as I was nearing the end, and nobody wanted me. One of the rejection letters is from Central. That's Central Baptist Theological Seminary in Kansas. Stick a pen in this one. You'll need it later. Schools were saying, uh, we, we want somebody with more ministry experience. What they meant was, we don't want someone who wears a skirt. And that was the time when I began to serve as a rural pastor. Uh, and there was some uh, hu humility in that. My other PhD buddies, uh, many of whom I'd made better grades than they, were going to find churches. And I was um, in a very, very small rural congregation, the Jordan Baptist Church of Eagle Station, Kentucky halfway between Louisville and Cincinnati. On the short line of the LNN Railroad, if the train went through twice, I'd preach too long. And I began to learn some of the work of a rural pastor. Here's Linda McKinnish Bridges, Molly's friend from Southern. When I would go with Molly, I would see the difference. The difference in the kind of church, the difference in the people's response, the difference in what it took to lead that congregation as to what it took for my male colleagues to lead their congregations. One of the things it most definitely took, a sense of humor. Here's Molly recounting in 1995 her first baptism. The first baptism I ever performed, Linda went with me, mistake. <laughs> my little church where I was pastor had no baptistry and I had seen fish floating in the Eagle Creek and didn't want to get in it uh, 
there was no place for me to put on the waders and the robe that I was borrowing. So Linda stood in the window of the pastor's study, which was curtainless, and held up sheets so I could dress. Too bad she's so short. <laughs> Molly's salary is $70 a week. One time, as the church pie supper approaches, one congregant says to her, What kind of pie are you bringing, Brother Molly? A slip of the tongue, or perhaps a prophetic title. So it's 1983, and Brother Molly is pastoring and preaching in rural Kentucky. Roy Honeycutt, the man who suggested to Molly that Southern would hire a woman for the theology faculty as soon as one became marketable, is now president of Southern Seminary. And with controversy all around, Honeycutt makes good on his word. He hires Dr. Molly Marshall Green as the first female faculty member in Southern Seminary School of Theology. Molly did it. Her great aunt Clem had to sit in silence at the back. Now Molly will stand and teach at the front. But hold your applause. The celebration won't last. Months later, Douglas is arrested. Brother Molly is a production of Good Faith Media. It's hosted by me, Erica Whitaker. It's written by Cliff Vaughn with additional writing by me. Cliff Vaughn is the producer and editor, and Mitch Randall is the executive producer. Narration recorded by Carter Harrell. Special thanks in this episode to Eileen Campbell-Reed, Linda McKinnish-Bridges, June Honeycutt, Al Moeller, and Robin Sanbothy. I'm George Mason, host of The Good God Project, conversations that matter about faith and public life. You can find our weekly video podcasts at Good Faith Media or at goodgodproject.com. Thank you for tuning in to Good Faith Media's production of Brother Molly. Molly Marshall has taught us all about the courage and conviction it takes to lead in Baptist life. She's teaching us still.